Welcome to a special edition of Legal AF with your co-anchors, Michael Popak and Karen Friedman Agnifilo on a special Jan 6 hearings edition. As everybody knows, both Karen and I are dropping in and doing pre-game and post-game commentary every day of the hearing on the Midas Mighty or the Midas Network, um, which is being uh, hosted by Tony Michaels. And we'll be doing that again uh, each day of the hearing. We're coming up on day four. We thought it'd be uh, especially relevant for us to do two things on this uh, midweek episode. One, to talk about from a prosecutor standpoint, leaning in on and leaning on Karen's past history as a prosecutor about whether there is enough evidence that is being presented through the Jan 6 committee for a prosecutor to prosecute Trump for crime showing willful violation of federal or state, we'll talk a little bit about state crimes, or not, or whether his bury his head in the sand and, and act ignorantly about whether he won or he lost the election is enough to stop him from being prosecuted. We'll talk about that. And then lastly, we'll, we'll give you a preview of what um, day four of the Jan 6 hearings will be bringing us, which is if day three was hang Mike Pence, day four is Georgia and Arizona with a little sprinkling of Ginny Thomas. Karen, how are you? I'm good. I'm really good. It's so, so much going on right now in, in the world of, of Trump and, and this country and democracy. It's just so much to, to absorb. Yeah. Well, we're going to try to do it. We're going to try to do it for our, our, our legion, growing legion of legal mm-hmm. AFers. Let's kick it off with the question that's on everybody's mind, which is Jan 6 is doing an admirable job on not an evidentiary scale, but certainly with an overwhelming sequence of primarily Republican witnesses, whether against their will or otherwise, against Donald Trump, as I called it on the weekend edition of Legal AF with, with Ben Masalis, I said, this is uh, Ronald Reagan's 11th Amendment. Do not speak ill of other Republicans writ large. That's all they're doing is Republicans crapping on Trump, you know, rightly so, as fact witnesses. But the question is, is all of this, all of the sequence of videos and depositions and sworn testimony and documents, as powerful as it is, as presented by the Jan 6 committee, is it enough to establish willful in criminal intent to violate a federal statute? We've talked about those federal statutes in the past, interfering with governmental operations, interfering with the election count, um, uh, seditious conspiracy and all of that. Is it enough? And if it is enough, at least on paper, will Merrick Garland or any attorney general in his shoes bring a case against a former president who's going to be running for office again? Or does he or she not do that for other political or moral reasons? Let's kick it off. Firstly, what do you think? You've seen it all. <laughs> we got criminal intent. <laughs> well, what, what I can say is the January 6th Select Committee is absolutely presenting a roadmap for prosecutors, and they're presenting it in a way that is a roadmap for prosecutors. You know, there's think about it. They've had over, what, a thousand witnesses and 
lots and lots of documents and videos and and they could have synthesized it and presented it in any way that they wanted and they could have done it in chronological order they could have done it in you know various different orders of how to present it and and what it looks to me like is it's a spoon feed to the american people to change the hearts and minds from a willful kind of political standpoint to say, yes, let's do this, but also for the prosecutors who I'm sure are watching to show these are the crimes that could be prosecuted. And this is the evidence that we have and that you could subpoena from us or that we would give over to you that you could introduce as proof that Donald Trump committed these crimes. And and there's lots of different crimes that he could have committed. And and we can go through them in a little more detail. But but what you were alluding to is is what is the standard and what do prosecutors need to be able to prove and, and what everybody's sort of opining on in the Twitterverse and and everywhere else is whether or not Donald Trump intended to commit a crime. And and there's something, you know, the the difference between murder and a car accident has to do with intent, right? The the result could be the same. A person could be plowed down and, you know, uh, hit by a car and die. And in one scenario where the person intentionally pointed the car at them and tried to run them over, that's murder. You know, if it was a situation where they didn't see them and and they weren't speeding and they weren't doing anything wrong and the person just darted in front of them and got hit by the car and tragically died, you know, that that could be that's an accident and and no one gets prosecuted. And the reason for that is it has to do with the intent or, or what's known in legal terms as mens rea and the intent of these various crimes is that he had to know or should have known that what he was doing was wrong and that it was a crime. And so that's really where, where prosecutors are, are sort of analyzing and micro analyzing the evidence here, because when you look at the January 6th insurrection riot, whatever you want to call it, everybody's emotional reaction is, Oh my God, that's terrible. And, and, you know, someone has to be held accountable and, and what, 800 people, Popak are being prosecuted at this point by DOJ for that and people will be held accountable. But the question is, what is Donald Trump's criminal exposure here? And that's what I think everybody is, is hyper-analyzing right now and, and really where, where the questions are. Because as you said, you know, the, the standard is beyond a reasonable doubt. It's, it's, you have to see, is there admissible evidence that would show proof beyond a reasonable doubt, which is a much higher standard. It's the highest legal standard in the country. It's much higher than the civil standard of you know, more likely than not or clear and convincing evidence. Okay, I'm not letting you off the hook, Karen. What do I think? I asked, I, I so, asked you a question. Do you think, I think... <laughs> based on, wait, wait, let me let me finish because we went on. We went on a rant there for a minute. Here's the question. Prosecutor wearing a prosecutor hat. You've seen the evidence just the way we've all seen the evidence, but through a lens of experience of being a prosecutor, you know, that willfulness, what you call mens rea pro- properly, is the major issue from what you have seen so far through day three of the hearing and all of the other clips and pieces of evidence that have been spoon fed to the media by the Jan 6 committee. And I mean that in a good way. Do you think they are establishing willful intent to commit a crime and the required guilty mind of Donald Trump based on what you know and what you've seen? Yes, I do. So I think the, I think the easiest case to bring, and I've said this many, many, many times here, is the 
um, case in Georgia that we're going to see at day four of the Jan 6 hearing. We're going to see uh, the evidence of the, the recorded telephone call where Trump calls um, Secretary of State Raffensperger Rapp, and says, find the votes, right? Find the necessary votes. And I think he, he said one more than, than the number he lost by in Georgia. To me, that right there is the easiest case to bring. And hopefully it, they will bring it. Now, the issue there, and I think the reason it hasn't been brought so far is because uh, Fonnie Willis, the Fulton County DA, is uh, it's been reported that she's her investigation is expanding. She's not just now looking at that one call because, you know, that's what prosecutors do. They sort of un they, they unravel an onion, you know, and just pull the threads and pull the threads and they they go uh, where it leads. And, and in this particular case, I think there's so much evidence of widespread crime in the in the form of trying to uh, get this election um not certified fraudulently so that I think you could keep going and keep going to forever. So somebody's going to have to pull the trigger at some point. And I think that's the easiest one to do. And I think she needs to focus and bring that case, the state charges. The Department of Justice is a little bit harder. So uh, I think in that particular in, in those particular kind of 18 USC crimes that you were talking about, um, you know, it's it. You have to prove what was in his mind, and did he have the intent here to um, to stop an official congressional proceeding or other crimes that were there? And you know, it, it's hard because you're never in someone's mind, right? You know, and and so how do you prove intent? And I and I was saying before with the violent crimes or with the car accident example, the results you know sort of speak for themselves, and you can sort of you know, put that together. But in a white collar kind of non violent crime uh, situation or scenario for a prosecutor, proving your state of mind is a little bit harder to establish. And you have to prove he either knew or should have known what he was doing was wrong, or you have to present circumstantial evidence. So for example, everyone told him that the election wasn't stolen and that he had no claims and that he wasn't allowed to stop Pence from certifying the election. You know, th those sort of kind of that that evidence could show that he circumstantially knew. There's also, as, as you were alluding to, a willful blindness. Now, you can't the law doesn't allow you to sort of turn your turn a blind eye willfully to something that you could know, but you're sort of avoiding learning the truth that you're not allowed to do that. And so he can't really say that. But he, he you know, he dropped a 12 page this this week. He dropped a 12 page sort of um, what all his defenses would be uh, kind of, you know, rant is what I would call it as to why he was convinced that the election uh, was actually stolen and why it was within his right to challenge that. And, and to me, it looked like it was written with the, you know, with the help of a lawyer to try to put his defenses out there, because if he can just put a tiny seed. It, it was written with the help of a lawyer. It was written well, by Kakor Kakorin, who's a white collar guy who, who represents Trump. Oh, there you go. Because you could tell you could tell that somebody was advising him and saying, you know, look, you need to put a little seed of doubt in there and the prosecutors and in the jury pool and, and whoever that you thought what you were doing was OK. And therefore, you didn't intend to commit a crime. You thought it was in you were you were trying to uh, the kind of, you know, the will of the American people. You, you were sort of going there and, and kind of doing it. But you know, doing what was in your right. But I, I just think 
that to me just falls flat as a prosecutor. I think he, he's he. Can I comment? Of course. Uh, OK, I, I think if he tries that defense, but let, let's talk about a future trial. The trial would likely take place, I imagine, in the District of Columbia. He'll argue, oh, he's citizen, he's citizen uh, Trump. He should be tried in Miami. But I think all of the acts that he did, all of the bad acts that he did are in District of Columbia. So now you have a D.C. jury. Do you disagree with that, It's it, that it's going to be in the District of Columbia? Absolutely. He'll move for change of venue. Can I have it in Miami? Can I have it in West Palm Beach? I think the answer to that is probably going to be no. And so all the witnesses, all the data, all the facts, all the, you know, everything is in the forum that is convenient is D.C. A D.C. jury sitting there impaneled against Donald Trump is going to it leans left. Let's be honest. Yes, it's supposed to be a jury of your peers, but it's going to be a, people that live and reside in D.C., which primarily are liberal progressives and people of diversity. So that's going to be the jury pool. And then they're going to hear all the evidence put on by a top notch prosecutor like you about all the things that were told to him even by people in his innermost circle at every moment to which no reasonable person would be able to hold the opinion that he had won the election after the onslaught of so many people in his inner circle telling him the exact opposite. You don't you you can have I understand your point. You can't defeat mens rea if you reasonably in good faith believe something. But after two dozen people testify at the highest levels and then add to that all of his things to try to keep the conspiracy going, removing in the last hours of the administration, the Department of Justice, the attorney general of the United States in a midnight massacre, removing Jeff Rosen, replacing him with um, Jeff Clark, an environmental lawyer, five rungs down the chain because he's going to be the fraud guy. Um and then you have what I think could uh, could be devastating testimony. We haven't talked about it yet. We'll talk about it uh, on uh, when we get to also the fourth day. Is that the uh, a woman who was the last communications director? Because you know everybody was leaving. They're they're getting off the Titanic as fast as they could. The last communications director when the musical chairs stopped, <laughs> she said she was in the dining room with with with. Uh, with Trump. And she's testified already under oath that when Biden came on as president, Trump looked to no one in particular and said out loud, can you believe I lost to this guy? OK, stop right there. I don't care what he's told people in the past. At some point, he recognized that he lost to the guy. Now, he'll probably argue the guy being Biden. He'll probably argue, well, that was a different point in time. But that can't be because he tweeted as of or, or social truth as of hours ago that he that he that he won the election. You can't have all of those competing ideas at the same time and not in front of a jury that's going to be instructed properly on what is willful blindness to connect the dots with enough firsthand knowledge, witnesses and documents about the seven part conspiracy that uh, that Liz Cheney laid out. I I'll think he loses. I think he yeah, loses. I think, I think so, too. But I'll take it one step further that, you know, I, look, I want to defer the, the, the white collar practitioners that are opining on on his intent are formidable, legitimate, good lawyers. And so I hear what they're saying and I and I and it I don't take it. I don't say what I'm about to say lightly. I hate to go against them because I have a lot of respect for them. And I get that you do need intent. But part, I, I kind of feel like 
even if he thought it was okay, even if he thought that he won the election and even if he believes his own lies, even if that is the case, I still think you can charge him and convict him of obstruction of an official proceeding of Congress for January 6th. And the reason is this. First of all, there's no doubt it's an official proceeding, right? And um, we're done done with that. Yes, exactly. A a dozen courts have said it was. Exactly. And, you know, the, the bottom line is he led them, he, he invited them to Washington. He told them to, he pointed them in the direction. It's like he loaded the gun and he pointed it in the direction of the Capitol. And he knew that they were, what they were doing. And even if he didn't know they were going to be violent, there was, a, came a point where he did know. And for 187 minutes, he didn't call them off. No, call and, them. Wait, wait, wait. Call them off. He did the exact opposite when they were on the Capitol steps. Yeah. Yeah. He he tweeted basically Mike Mike Pence doesn't have the balls to do what's right. He's not a patriot. Exactly. That led that led. And they're going to show this in Jan six hearing that led at that moment because they follow everything he says and everything he does in real time. That led the mob of insurrectionists to to start chanting Pence's name and to hang Pence right at that moment. So at the moment where he could have quelled the violence that he had fomented, he instead took a giant can of kerosene he did. and sprayed it on the flames. But, but even then, even then, if you even at that moment, they go in for 187 minutes. If I were the prosecutor in this case, I would call and subpoena every single I would try to recreate those 187 minutes. I would show every communication that he had, every television show that he watched, every act of violence that he saw, every person who called and begged him to call it off. I would recreate painstakingly those 187 minutes. And to me, his inaction, his is is the proof right there that he right. knew Agreed. and that that's his intent of all along and he could have stopped it and he didn't and he had a duty to stop it and at that point so to me that's where he if i if i'm the prosecutor i say bring the case now as you alluded to there's these political questions about whether to bring the case but from just a can you and should yeah. you legally i say game over yeah we're going to talk well, let's let's touch on day 4 of the Jan 6 committee where I call this one Georgia Arizona day because you're going to see a little bit of what Fonnie Willis has put on in Fulton County Georgia to the special grand jury because you're going to hear from the basically the CEO of the of the Secretary of State of Georgia and Brad Raffensperger himself in I assume live testimony unless somebody else has a baby um and they can't take the stand but they have don't worry. Gen six committee has video <laughs> ready to go for all these people just in case. And you're going to hear about the phone call, that fateful phone call, which is the only piece of evidence. Perfect. Phone any, call. Yeah. The, yeah. Well, everything's perfect that Trump does. He's perfect brain. <laughs> perfect. Perfectly fine phone call. Um, but that is the only piece of evidence, Karen, that I am aware of. And you tell me if you've heard anything else where there is an actual firsthand involvement of Donald Trump making a phone call, writing a note, tweeting something at that moment and trying to interfere with the proper election process in a state or federal area. 
we have all of this connect the dots, which is fine. Circumstantial evidence, everybody around him, this email, that memo, he could have done better. He buried his head. But this is the only piece of evidence. That's why we've always said that Phony Willis has the strongest case because yep. she has Trump on a recording yep. picking up the phone and asking Brad Raffensperger to find 11,000 votes between friends. Exactly. And if, if that was done in any other undercover sting, this we wouldn't even be talking about. Is that going to be a prosecution? That's going to be a conviction. Now, let's talk about, you know, political will, moral before, will. Before, and the before you get before you get to that, I just want to round out the whole kind of prosecution. There, there are other, by the way, there are other things he can still be prosecuted for that I think DOJ is looking at that have nothing to do with Jan 6. So the fundraising, there's a wire fraud. I don't know if you saw that there, there sort of there it, might be an investigation. He collected $250 million exactly. on a bullshit story about he's going to use it for these lawsuits and to overturn the election. And he put it in his pocket. Right. That sounds like fraud to right, me, doesn't it right. sound like that? Too? Totally. And I and I still hold out hope that Alvin Bragg is going to bring a case. So, look, I, to me, the prosecutors, they have they have cases to bring. Somebody has to pull the trigger and they have to do it soon. Uh, I mean, this is getting it's getting frustrating. But was, okay, get it, to the political. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, it was funny. You sent me in, in pre-production. You sent me the article in The Times. And I read it more closely after you sent it to me about, you know, whether willful intent is being made out by the Jan 6 committee. And there's a big quote, shout out to my friend, Dan Zelenko, who I just had lunch with last week, who's from who's the head of white collar, Crowell and Mooring, and also is a former SEC guy, former U.S. attorney guy. And he had his own opinion, which I don't totally disagree with. He's just kind of laying out he's laying out and most of them are he's laying out how the ski route, how the ski slope, where the poles are you know, where the flags are to ski it. He's not saying whether you can ski it or not. He's just saying, well, there's this problem. There's this problem. There's this problem. There's this problem. I got it. But this this is why you and I get paid the no bucks, because we get to <laughs> we get to say out loud he should be prosecuted. And there's enough evidence to do that. Now, the no, the no bucks. <laughs> does, does Merrick Garland, given the fact let's let's put this in historical and political context, we had a, we had a criminal president before Trump, at least one. His name was Richard Nixon. He was pardoned for all of his bad conduct, unindicted. People forget it was unindicted. Could have been indicted. It was unindicted for everything that he did related to Watergate, the break in of the Democratic National Committee and, you know, the committee to reelect the president, all the money that was raised there and his attempts to stay in office and all the other criminal things that he did, including the missing 18 minutes of tape and all of that. So for the good of the country, the president, that could be Biden just said, you know what? He is a criminal, but this isn't good to prosecute him given the divisions, you know, and he was same party, right? Because Gerald Ford was in the same party. He was the vice president of Nixon, Republican, Republican. We've got Biden Democrat. We've got an entire right now, Democratic exe executive branch, including the department of justice, Merrick Garland. And the question is, Yes, we think he can prosecute him. But do you think he should prosecute Donald J. Trump? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think Nixon <laughs> would have been pardoned if he said he was going to run again? You mean if he wasn't going to go off into the wilderness and never be seen for, for, for 20 years until yes. the David Frost, the David Frost interviews? That's a good question. You know, I've never heard that posited. Um, I don't think that. 
for I I'll, I'll go out on a limb. I think if Ford suspected that Nixon was going to make a political comeback, he would not have pardoned him. Right. I think at, at that era in the 70s, when you committed a crime as a president, you skulked off under the rock that you came out of. Of course, never, never to be heard from again. <laughs> that does not happen in 2022. Correct. That to me is the question. So like on the one hand, he could run again. Right. But on the other hand, there could be riots in the street. We saw what these people did January 6th. Imagine if their president, right. you know, their, their president got prosecuted. I mean, I, I can't imagine that that's not on the mind of Alvin Bragg, Fannie Willis and Merrick Garland. Right. It, it is. I think if there's enough evidence, um, yes, they have the prosecutorial discretion not to prosecute him. But I think all things being equal, I think you have to disable the man by bringing a criminal case against him. If there's one to be made, I think the history books will not look kindly on giving him a pass, given how much he tested the guardrails of democracy throughout his presidency, violated every law, whether it was the Hatch Act or it was cataloging the gifts he was given when he was a president, which wasn't done properly, how he treated presidential records, how he treated appointments, cabinet members. I mean, if you want to send the message, the wrong message, if you think Donald Trump was bad, there's another guy or woman worse than him if you don't hold these people accountable, not just through Gen 6 committee, which is important, but through a criminal prosecution if there's a case to be made. That's my opinion. Yeah, look, I mean, Merrick Garland has to weigh what message are you sending? On the one hand, are, you, can't, you can't say that presidents are above the law, right? And the law applies to everybody in this country. But the question is, you know, you have to weigh kind of what what to do. And I'm and sure. Let me turn, but hold on. Let me turn it back to the Federalists out there on our Supreme Court who love to talk about what the founding fathers would do. Then what would the founding fathers do who 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 escaped tyranny of King George, who set up a constitutional republic, a constitutional democracy with a separation of powers? with fear, as George Washington said, as he left office, his farewell address, that he was not going to stay to be a monarch or to be a king, but he was going to the first peaceful transition of power from George Washington in his farewell address. What would the founding fathers do if we could exhume them and, and raise them in a seance about what to do with Donald Trump or somebody like him? I'm, I'm sorry. I think they would say he's a despot. He's a criminal. We never we thought that could happen because of the way our country was. You got it. You got to prosecute him if there's crimes to be had. That's why we have a Supreme Court. And that's why we have a Department of Justice. Absolutely. No, that's me. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I you know, actually completely agree with you. Yeah. And I think you got to do it. But let's and, see. And, and I think yeah. that these hearings and I, I, I will say I was a little nervous about these hearings ahead of time wondering, are they going to be overproduced or are they going to, are they going to seem political? Are they, um, you know, what, what are they, what are they going to be? Cause they are sort of unusual, this sort of setup, right? This, they've already taken most of the testimony and they're kind of presenting information. 
I think they're doing a really good job at, you know, like some of the people are really boring. I mean, they look really authentic, you know, like this is what it really looks like when it's not overproduced. It's just, these are well, real what, people. Uh, I'll tell you what helps everybody who's testifying. Everybody has an R next to their name. Yeah. Everybody. No, it's everybody. Brilliant. It's brilliant. Is, we haven't seen one. Democrat. I mean, I don't know about Pac, who is the Northern District of Georgia U.S. attorney. I don't know his political leanings. They don't really matter. Everybody else from Fox News to Michael Luddig, no more Federalist judge. He'd be on the Mount Rushmore of right wing conservative judges would be Michael Luddig. He um, looked so no, pained. His testimony no. was so I don't know if it was pained or just you know deliberate. Would you I don't see know what... the idiots? Or were you in the chat with with Ben and me? off of the live for Saturday and all these trolls, they were like, Michael Ludic had a stroke. I'm like, dude, first of all, you don't know what you're talking about. Second of all, Michael Ludig was a feeder program for the Federalist Society judges yeah. on the U.S. Supreme Court for the last 30 years. If if you've lost Michael Ludig as a party, exactly, or, you're in yeah. big, you're in big, big trouble, big doo doo. But the okay, guy so, is the opposite of a glossy, shiny, polished yeah. operator. He was so painstakingly authentic, right? Just and deliberate in every word he said that it just I think that and I think this the hearings are doing an excellent job at putting forth people yeah. like you said, they're 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 his people. They're they're the all Republicans. Republicans. It's yeah. not like, you know, independent and his family. Or, and his family. And it, yeah. Now he can say whatever he wants in his in his tweets. Let's we only have a few minutes. Let's talk briefly about. Uh, as a preview of what is the Georgia, Arizona presentation for tomorrow. Uh, we've already talked about Brad Raffensperger and the COO or CEO, the secretary of state. He'll talk about the phone call and the efforts that were made by Trump. But talk about the Arizona Speaker of the House, who's also a Republican, and the conversation or the email that he's going to talk about, which could be a bombshell and the reason why somebody who's married to somebody is is being asked to go testify before the Gen 6 committee. Talk about is, that one. Is 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 Ginny Thomas actually going to test? I know she's being asked to testify. Well, start I, with the email exchange. You, you do Russ it. You talk. You All talk right. about the email. So 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 the other witness for tomorrow is the secretary, the uh, speaker of the House at the time for the Arizona Senate. And he will testify that he got an email from Ginny Thomas in which she pushed him to basically swear in that fake electors, you know, because she we heard about this two weeks ago that she was out there um, trying to convince everybody in the in the Green Bay sweep of, of Peter Navarro to certify these alternate like alternate universe um, electors uh, that they, they would then send to Pence because, of course, it all goes through Pence. Uh, this is like Stranger Things, but like real monsters, <laughs> but not the ones in the underworld. They've all come out um, this alternate universe that they've created. So he's going to be the first witness to talk about. Think about this. A sitting Supreme Court justice's wife, former member of a cult, current member of a cult, uh, if you really think about it, and the link between her and the big lie and Trump while her while her. Not just he's on there. You know, let's be clear. There are plenty of weird political marriages that don't make any sense. George James Conway. Con James Conway married to Kellyanne. Kellyanne. Really weird. Yeah. James Carville married to Mary Matlin. 
really, really weird. weird. Yeah. Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd, really weird. <laughs> but this one, this one of Clarence Thomas, who has who never accuses himself and always sides with Trump whenever he can, even if he's in the eight to two, eight to sorry, eight to one, seven to two. It's always who's one of the two? Clarence Thomas. When your wife is out there promoting the overthrow of the Constitutional Republic for which you've sworn an oath. You either have to recuse yourself, which he's never going to do, or and she's all she's all geeked up. She she's she was on a uh, a uh, right wing news program podcast during the hearing on day three, and she heard that she was going to be subpoenaed or asked to testify. And she said she'd be thrilled, thrilled to do that. What? All right. Let's let's end it with this way. What are the odds that Ginny Thomas actually appears at the Jan 6 committee? I'd say almost nothing, almost zero. There's <laughs> zero. no way she shows right. up. But if she does show up, can you imagine the questioning? The, the If I were asking questions, one of the things I would absolutely want to talk to her about is you came up with these wacky, crazy legal theories. Did you ask your husband for an advisory opinion? I mean, she's going to, you know, obviously invoke the marital privilege, which would be super fun. Who cares what the answer is? You got to just ask that question yeah. and show the absurdity um, of how ridiculous that is. There, there is no way on God's green earth. She's not showing that. Up. OK, could you imagine what's going on in the inner sanctum of the water cooler and espresso machine at the U.S. Supreme Court? Between not just the clerks, because Lord knows what they're talking about, but like John Roberts bumping into Clarence Thomas, like uh, your wife's not testifying right at the Gen Six committee for her role in trying to overthrow the election. I, I mean, Look, John, you, are they going to are they going to say we subpoenaed her and that she didn't show up? I mean, is that, they're going to I don't know. It, right? I, think, I think they're going to I don't think they're going to do subpoena. Here's my prediction. I think they're going to do request because I don't I, I think even they even Liz Cheney doesn't want to be subpoenaing and she's already on record as saying she really doesn't want to bring in Ginny, except now this guy, Rusty who's the Speaker of the House, is going to testify about her role. Well, we have to really reevaluate after I hear the complete testimony tomorrow. Look, and I'll, we'll leave it on this, because I know what our legal IFers are really interested in is the last 18 Supreme Court decisions that are coming out in the next two weeks, including Dobbs uh, and the, and the abortion decision. There is reporting, as I and you and Ben predicted, that John Roberts is working feverishly behind the scenes to try to preserve some constitutional right to an abortion the way he preserved Obamacare. And he's trying to find the middle road. So I have not given up all hope yet. If anybody's going to do it, it's going to be the chief justice. The question yeah. is, can he get one vote between Amy Coney Barrett, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch? And this is going to sound as weird as all get out. But the only person I think he's got a shot at is Kavanaugh. And wouldn't that be ironic given his misogynist yeah. and women issues if he's the one. But if you were doing PR, if this was wag the dog, right, with 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 uh, with Dustin Hoffman, people love when I mentioned this crap. If you were doing wag the dog and you were just worried about the PR campaign for Kavanaugh, wouldn't you be whispering in his ear? You want to you want to salvage your entire yeah. legacy and reputation? Yeah. Find a way to support constitutional abortion and give it to John Roberts. Holy shit. That would be like, I mean, 
right? Yeah, you're, Am I right or right. wrong? You're, you know, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. This is your. I live in a fantasy to... world of my own making. No, but, but you're, but you're that right. That would be, all, that'd be awesome. Just, yeah, you're absolutely right. Wouldn't that be, be awesome? You know, you look, know what else is? God, tell me, and then we're gonna wrap it up. No, no, I, I was just gonna say, you know, the, the we are living in such strange times because I, I I'm watching these hearings and I find myself thinking Pence is a hero. I mean, so you know. Yeah. That's crazy. That was part so, of the calculated, so, by the way. Course, that was part of, of course. L- yeah, Luddick threw him a bone to make him a hero. But my point is, maybe yeah. Brett Kavanaugh is going to turn out to be a women's yeah. rights hero too. Holy like we're living cow. in such upside down world. He does I, anything have daughters. Is he does <laughs> yeah, well. have daughters. He is married to a woman, you know. But that's it. Doesn't seem to have worked so far. Uh, Karen Friedman Agnifilo, my favorite midweek anchor. <laughs> and uh, and we're, we've reached the end of another, spe- this case, a special edition of Legal AF. And uh, tune in because Karen, me, Ben, my Salas, and the others are um, doing running commentary both before each Jan 6 hearing day and after in, in uh, either pop-ins, as we like to call them, or in um, or full panels, depending upon how many people like uh, Michael Cohen, Politics Girl, Texas Paul, uh, Karen and me, Gabe and Tony, the Midas Brothers. I mean, it's, it's you know, we, we pack them in. It looks like Hollywood Squares. Uh, or the Brady Bunch. We pack it in, but it's always been a pleasure. And so shout out to the Legal AFers and the Midas Mighty, and we'll talk to you next week.